studied hard and I've been acing all my classes. Got laser surgery corrected for my glasses. Been pumping iron 30 hours a week, improving on my physique so I can kick all of your asses. Did all the dishes and I cleaned out all the closets. I mowed the lawn and tightened all the leaky faucets. Got liposuction on my cows and my gut, my face, my arms, and my butt, removing my fatty deposits. I feel revitalized, performance optimized, perfection realized. Hello and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and with me are my constant two co-hosts, Mr. Rory Sinjin and Mr. Scape White. Say hello, Rory. Thank you very much for letting me say hello. My name is Rory Sinjin, and I would like to say to all of you, hello. And I'm sure they all say hello back to you, and Scape, you as well. Would you like to say hello? Uh, sure. Hello. I uh, hope you're doing okay. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, perhaps you would like to... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where you're going with that. Learn more at your local library. Um, let's get right to the show. We have so many exciting things going on. Starting with our all-new regular segment, Apple Watch. It's Apple Watch. It's Apple Watch. Thank you, Scape. It is time for Apple Watch, where we do watch Frank Allen and update on what he is doing with his vast sums of money. And we do have some specific information about what he is doing with his vast sums of money this time. But before we get to that, a follow-up on last week's Apple Watch. Mr. Thomas Alva Edison has written back, Rory. Oh, you know, that's fine. I, I'm not afraid of him. Well, perhaps, perhaps you should be. Here is the letter he wrote. Sinjin! Of all the ungrateful, gormless chicaneries, he probably invented lying. As a matter of fact, Sinjin, while I did not, you shall taste of my most potent invention of all, revenge. That is right, you have joined the ranks of Nikola Tesla, Atlantis, slavery, and Jesus of Nazareth as an occupant of Thomas Alva Edison's S-list. And I'm assuming he means shit list, but it says S-list here. And as you can tell from its other occupants, it is a dumping ground for history's most thoroughly owned. Already my revenge begins. Through a combination of vicious attack ads and time travel, I have slowly but surely eroded the reputation of extra history until few, if any, will have even heard of the discipline. And those who have shall scoff at it as I do now. Scoff! Furthermore, your practice of doubling your price after your competition closes will no doubt be of interest to the Better Business Bureau, who are, as you read this, receiving my strongly worded complaint. I have also taken the liberty of breaking up your parents' marriage and shooting your dog. This shall be the harvest you reap from your sowing of slander and ingratitude, Sinjin. Too late you shall learn not to bite the hand that feeds you, lest it be the iron fist of Thomas Alva Edison. All those you love shall turn against you. All that you dream of shall fail. All that you plan shall be blown away by the wind you shall inherit. Despair, Sinjin, for your vengeance shall be as cold as the ice planet Hoth and as sweet as the barbecue sauce from my favorite rib joint. A brief postscript to Jordan. My best to you and your lovely wife. I hope the new year finds you well. Yours sincerely, Thomas Alva Edison. So, Rory Sinjin, um, he is out to get you using a combination of time travel and um, attack ads, apparently. So, uh, I don't know. How does that feel? Well, I I mean, I, I, I can't say I knew. You know, if he if he actually did use time travel to make it so that very few people have heard of extra history, I, 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 I don't think I would have felt it, would I? I mean, I do know that not a lot of people have heard of extra history, which is unfortunate. Um, but was that his doing? I, I, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the weird thing about time travel is that if, if it worked, we'll never know that it worked. He could just claim that it could be anything. I mean, are your parents together? Well, no, no, my parents did break up. Um, you know, they are divorced and all that. And was your dog shot? Well, yes, but, you know, all these things are a matter of public record. Perhaps he didn't actually time travel. I mean, as I pointed out, I said that not only did I think he probably invented lying, he probably...
probably invented lying about lying. And if that is in fact true, then this would be an example of that second invention, lying about lying, in which he says he didn't invent lying, but he did. That's a good point. That's a good point. If you're right. If you're wrong, then I'm sure he hates you. Well, he can hate as much as he wants. That's true. Yes, he can. The po- my point was that it, it won't do anything, especially, like I said, if it is time travel, we'll never know that it worked. All we'll know is that the reality is as we know well, it. Wait, wouldn't it, but wouldn't it affect alternate realities? I mean, wouldn't that be creating other alternate realities in which, well, I mean, I guess in a way it'd be creating this alternate reality in which you, you are kind of a lowly extra historian rather than other ones where extra history is prominent, the, which would be the real reality. Well, there are other realities where extra history is more prominent, sure, yes, of course. But how can one say which is the real reality? All realities are real equally. All realities are as genuine as, as one another. And since you can't destroy a reality, really, because there's always a duplicate reality to the one you've destroyed, uh, it doesn't really make a difference whether realities, what reality we're in, you know, it, it shouldn't really make a difference. Okay, that's very confusing. Well, so Thomas Alva Edison, I guess the point is either, gosh, you really got him or you didn't. Yes, that's about it. All right. But it's it's good to hear from you. Um, thanks for writing in. Now, Rory, uh, you did want to update us on what Mr. Frank Allen is doing with the money. If if I remember correctly, you said you found out what he did with quite a lot of it. Uh, yes, actually, I, I did. I did hear about that. Um, so my sources inside of the Allen Industries... Oh, did I tell you about Allen Industries? No, no, this is totally new. Oh, well, um, yes, he started Allen Industries. And what it is, is it, he's starting up a media conglomerate. But rather than uh, purchasing one, I mean, uh, which is sort of understandable, because I doubt, you know, Rupert Murdoch's going to sell him Fox wholesale... Um, but rather than buying a media outlet, he seems to be trying to build one from the ground up, trying to start with a multimedia organization. He's got the seedlings for a record company, a television company, a book publishing company, a newspaper publishing facility, a cable news outlet, a regular network outlet, a cable outlet of many different types that use different genres and different programming types. The point is, oh, a film studio, of course. He He's trying to, you know, have have his cake and, you know, also have his pie. Oh, I thought you were going to say and eat it. Well, I'm sure he wants to eat them both, but he, he's, he's he's ordering a cake and a pie and some ice cream, you know, and and a, a Napoleon of some sort. So he's, he's you, so you think his eyes are bigger than his stomach? Well, perhaps his eyes are bigger than his brain is more accurate. His brain, okay, so wow, this is a complicated metaphor. So his eyes represent his ambition and his brain, well, his brain actually would represent his actual brain, but his brain is taking the place of his stomach, which would represent his ability slash his brain. So you're calling him dumb. Yes, that's, that's the thrust of it. Yes, I don't think he's sophisticated enough to, to take on what he's doing. Okay. Well, how much of his money is that costing him? It's only about half of the money. I mean, he he's, he has such a significant amount of money. That's, it's only approximately about half of it. And my sources inside of Allen Industries say they think this is going to go quite well for him. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate for us, yes. <sighs> All right, well, um, that's fine. Good for him. Interestingly, however, in return, I don't, not really in revenge, but coincidentally, I, really, this will be, I believe, a Frank Allen free episode, other than the fact that we're talking about him a bunch right now. What do you mean? Well, I mean, he, I don't think he appears anywhere in the show. There's no debatatorium? Or? No, 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 no tractor fiction either. Neither of those is on this episode. We're doing three drama serials, or drama, so to speak, sometimes comedy. You know what I mean. Three of those. And Decker and Hayes, he's not in Decker and Hayes because he plays Matthew Landsberg, yes, but I, I'm pretty sure Matt Landsberg is not in this episode. He's not in it. And in Epic Echoes, he no, doesn't know. There's no, no newsman. I, I, I'm, I'm not 100% positive, but I'm pretty sure he is not in any of the shows that we'll be hearing today. So this is all the Frank Allen content right up front. Well, that's that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. I like I said, I I can't take credit. I I believe it's a coincidence. So, but there you are. So, good luck, Frank Allen, and we don't need you. Well, no, no, we don't. I don't, cause I get my own show when he's not around. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, uh, Frank, good luck. Except um, that we actually wish you bad luck, but you know, good luck as far as that'll take you. Yes. So let's get to our first show. Up first, we have oh something kind of exciting. It's the premiere of Like Daughter. So you've heard the show Like Mother. It was in a little eleven episode series. Well, here's 
here's the continuation, which we retitled Like Daughter. Do you get it? Like Mother, Like Daughter? Uh-huh. Let me just tell you right up front. If you enjoyed the weird conspiracy aspect of Like Mother, great. That's really awesome. But this is going to be a little different. It certainly starts out, well, sort of similarly, but this show is going to be jumping off the deep end very quickly. And I don't mean in a bad way. I don't mean it goes, I don't mean it goes off the deep end into, you know, poor quality. I mean, it goes off the deep end into something else, something else entirely. You'll see, you'll see. Um, anyway, here's the first episode of Like Daughter. Enjoy. Like Daughter, Episode 1, No Place Like Home, by Lynn Nelson. Carousel, New York was your typical suburban town, and Pandora Darling used to be its typical teenage resident. A happy, healthy, gorgeous young woman, Pandy used to spend her time at tennis practice, hanging out with BFF Tabitha Wentworth, and dreaming about going to homecoming with local hunk George Batista. But junior year had brought real nightmares that Pandora could never have anticipated. It started with discovering her mother, bloody and breathless, standing over a dead body in their living room one afternoon. A terrifying ordeal of subliminal and oh-so-concrete training Conspiracy theories, fights, car chases, romantic encounters, presidential imposters, and close family deaths later, Pandora found herself a lonely and confused orphan who was lucky the police weren't after her. She had watched both her mother and her grandmother die. Her father's parents were missing, also probably dead. Her father himself had died when she was young. She had only one place to stay, and that place was haunted by echoes of pain, panic, fear, and death. Her mother's house. Having been declared independent by the state due to extreme circumstances, Pandora could live comfortably on her inheritance. But it was a cold comfort indeed. Now, as she heard the doorbell ring, she knew that the one person in the world who was offering her support and company was on the other side of the door, fidgeting in his rented tuxedo. She took a deep breath and opened the door to find Bobby fiddling with the button and zipper of his fly. Um, <laughs> hi, Bobby. Oh, um, <laughs> hi, Pandy. Uh, how, uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm all right, all things considered. Thanks for convincing me to do this. I really need to get out of the house. I can't believe it's been a month since I've seen almost anyone. Everybody's been thinking good thoughts for you. They'll be happy to see you. Well, not everyone. She'll get over it, Pandy. You guys are best friends. Tabby's... Stubborn, but there's too much history there to let it go like that. She'll come around. Yeah, well, I hope so. She hasn't called me once, and I can't imagine tonight will make things any better. Yeah. What happened between the two of you anyway? I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, let's do this. Despite the nearly fatal events of late, 
and the terrible tragedies Pandy had suffered, Bobby could not help but feel a little gleeful as he escorted Pandora to the passenger side of the car. He had been gathering the courage to ask her to homecoming for months, and now his dream had come true. She looked beautiful in her long pink gown and her hair falling loosely in curls around her bare shoulders. She had even put on eyeshadow and lip gloss. She was a pale pink beacon of light in what seemed like a dreary storm cloud over the quiet village of Carousel. Even the changing leaves of October seemed gray, but Pandy had taken the time to make herself pretty for Bobby, and nothing in the world would have kept him down tonight. They arrived at the high school gym, and a nervous Pandy suggested they make for the refreshment table and get some punch. As Bobby turned to hand her her glass, something startled him and he dropped it, spilling kiwi mango strawberry punch on the bosom of Pandy's beautiful pink dress. You're always so good at accessorizing, Pandora. Gee, Pandy, I'm so sorry. Hello, Ms. Wentworth. So this is why you were brushing me off? Tabby, I'm sorry I didn't talk to you about this, but- Save it, Bobby. I'm sick of playing sidekick to Barbie here. I hope you two are happy together. Thanks for calling me, by the way. I'm doing fine. What was that all about? Well, um, I didn't exactly tell Tabby I was bringing you to homecoming. I don't understand. She kind of asked me to go with her. Oh, I see. I didn't know how to tell her I was taking you, since you guys are- not getting along, so I just kept telling her I'd think about it, or I didn't know. Well, I'm glad you took me. Hey, I think Principal Monty's going to announce the results of the vote. Good evening, students. This is the moment I'm sure you've all been waiting for. The results are in for homecoming king and queen. So without further ado, your homecoming queen is... Oh my goodness! Everyone, please give an extremely warm welcome to your fellow classmate, whom we have missed dearly, and your homecoming queen, Pandora Darling. <laughs> Pandora's heart skipped a beat as she made her way to the stage, and Bobby's heart beat faster as the prospect of being homecoming king entered his mind. Wow, I'm, I'm speechless. Just thank you all for your support. It means a lot to me. And now, the vote for homecoming king, George Batista. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. You're too kind. You made the right choice. Okay, okay, settle down, everyone. As is customary, the homecoming king and queen will have a dance together, so clear the floor. Pandy ignored Tabby making vomiting motions by pretending to put her finger down her throat as she took the floor with George. Welcome back, Pandora. We missed you. Thanks. It's good to get out of the house. And good to be where you belong, eh? What do you mean? Well, dancing with me, of course. Oh, wow. You know, I was going to ask you to go with me. Really? Well, yeah, but you weren't around so much for the few weeks before the dance, so I ended up asking Tabitha Wentworth. Oh, well, sh she looks very nice tonight. So, what are you doing with that Dorko anyway? A girl of your breeding and looks should be with someone of equal stature. I see. And that would be you, I presume. Well, of course. You know who my father is, don't you? Yes, I do. And I'm beginning to see who you are, too. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Pandora was about to give George Batista a piece of her mind when the song ended 
And Principal Mondi took the microphone again. Everyone, give a round of applause to our homecoming king and queen and to our band, Caleb and Special K. The band is going to take a break now, but they'll be back in 15 minutes. Feel free to get some refreshments while you're waiting. Wait, what did she say the band was called? Caleb and Special K? Tabitha arranged for them to come. Oh my god. Are you okay? You're practically white. I I have to go. Running back to your loser boyfriend, I see. Shove it, George! Oh, you shove it too, Pandy! Panicked, Pandy searched the gymnasium for Bobby, but he was nowhere to be found. She looked to the stage where the band was clearing the their equipment and locked eyes for a moment with the bassist. She looked away quickly. What am I doing? I was no good at seeing them. Besides, I swore I wasn't going to get into this. This is ridiculous. There is no conspiracy. Just calm down, Pandy. You're being silly. Where on earth did Bobby go? Maybe he's outside. Pandora opened the doors to the gym and found herself outside with no one, including Bobby, in sight. She turned to go back in the gym when she felt a sharp pain in the back of her head and blacked out. She woke up about 20 minutes later, unable to see anything. She had the all-too-familiar sensation of being horizontal, cold, and enclosed. But this time, she knew her mother was not on the other side of the box. Slowly, Pandora tried to take stock of her surroundings. She moved her arms and legs as much as she could, feeling for her purse. As expected, it was not in the box with her. Exploring the sides of the box with her fingers, she found a small metal lock on the left wall. Slowly, Pandora inched up the skirt of her dress until the tops of her thigh highs were exposed. She reached to the garter on her right stocking, where three lockpicks were pinned. Just as she was removing one, an intercom above her head clicked on. Good evening, Pandora. I know you know your way out of a locked box, so I will keep this brief. You are invited to search for your friend if you are prepared for what you will find at the end. Good luck. Moments later, Pandora sprung open the box and leapt out, landing instinctively in a fighting pose to find an empty senior science lab. She scanned her surroundings quickly, spotting her handbag sitting placidly on a countertop. She grabbed it and headed for the door, kicking it open and bulldozing through to the outside, where she stopped to catch her breath on the front stairs. Damn it, I didn't want to get involved with any of this. This isn't supposed to be happening to me. Why can't life just be normal? Okay, okay, think. Can I go home? They probably know where I live, but if they wanted to hurt me, they would have done so when they had me. They want me to find Bobby. I want to find Bobby. There's no one else who knows what's going on. No one I can consult. Why can't Abby just be friends with me again so we can put our heads together? That's it. I'm going to find her. She's my best friend. She's got to help. And if not for me, then for Bobby. I'll just... Oh! Hello, Pandora. I didn't mean to startle you. Oh, it's... Okay, I... I just came out to get some air. I saw you run out before. I didn't want to pry. But the dance is ending, so I thought I'd check on you. 
I didn't get a chance to welcome you back. Well, thanks. I was just going back in. Actually, I was hoping you had a minute to talk. Well, uh, I guess I have a minute. Sure. I know we've talked before, and I know how difficult things were and are. I just wanted to remind you that I'm here if you need someone to confide in. I know, Mr. Nielsen, and I appreciate it, but I'm okay now, and I have my friends to talk to. Really? I'm sorry, I don't mean to press you too much, but I couldn't help but notice that you and Tabitha didn't seem to be getting along. And I saw your date leave so quickly, so I... You saw Bobby leave? Well, I saw him go through the gym doors when you were on stage. Hmm. I don't want you to think you have to be alone, Pandora. Here, I got you something. Something that provides me comfort in times of desperation. The Bible. Gee, Mr. Nielsen, thanks so much. Anytime. I'm helping to clean up, so I'll be inside if you need anything. Thanks! Mr. Nielsen got up and went back inside the gym. Pandy looked down at the stair next to her and saw a large dagger sitting where Mr. Nielsen had been. Confused, she looked up to ask if it belonged to him, but he was already gone. She picked it up and hurried around the corner into the parking lot in order to beat the crowd that would be leaving any minute. As she crossed the parking lot, she saw the band loading up their van from a back door of the gym. Three of the band members headed back into the gym, and the bassist was left to rearrange things in the back of the van. He turned when he heard her walking. Pandora narrowed her eyes, trying to see him. Making a quick decision, she threw her arm forward and snapped her wrist. The dagger sliced through the air and landed in the bassist's gut. He stumbled backward into the van. Pandora ran up behind him, closed and locked the van door, took the keys out of the lock, and ran to the driver's side of the van. She peered inside the gymnasium door and saw Mr. Nielsen moving some things around. Pandora? Mr. Nielsen, you said to come to you for help if I needed it. And if I ever needed help, it's now. What's going on? No time to talk here. Get in the van? What? Pandora, what's going on? I'm driving away in this van whether you're in it or not. Okay, okay. Pandora got into the driver's side and started the engine. As Mr. Nielsen jumped into the passenger's side and barely got his door closed before Pandy tore out of the parking lot. We need somewhere safe to go. Any ideas? Well, I guess we could go to my house. Not safe enough. Well, there's always the church, but we should probably go to one a few towns over if it's that bad. A few details might help. Bobby's been kidnapped, and I think he has something to do with it. Mr. Nielsen followed Pandy's thumb, which was pointing to the back of the van, and discovered the unconscious bassist with a dagger jutting out from his gut and his blood. All over the floor. Pandora, please tell me you didn't kill this man. I'm not sure if he's dead. When I asked you before if you had ever committed murder, I meant had you ever hated someone, not had you ever actually killed a man. Well, it's a little late for that. We need to get him and us somewhere safe. We can't take this man to a church. Thanks, Sherlock. Well, what was your brilliant plan? I don't know. 
if mother were alive, she'd know where to go, or grandma, but they're not here, and I don't know where to go. At that moment, they heard a groan coming from the back of the van. Mr. Nielsen looked back to see the bleeding bassist's head rolling back and forth, his hands clutching his stomach. Just as Pandy started to say... He's alive? Mr. Nielsen opened his blazer, pulled out a small pistol, aimed, and fired one silenced shot into the bassist's head, stilling him. Hmm, I know where we're going. What secret life does Mr. Nielsen have? Should Pandora have trusted him? Will she find Bobby before it's too late? Tune in next week for episode two of Like Daughter, Thou Shalt Not Kill. In the first episode of Like Daughter, the narrator was Charles Berman, Pandora Darling was Guinevere Eckert, Tabby was Ava Rosenblatt, Bobby Kurtzman was Jordan D. White, George Batista was Nicholas Roach, Mr. Nielsen was Daniel Schwartz, and Principal Mondi was Magdalena Richards. The theme song was by Jordan D. White. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rory. And yes, so you see, it already has gone into a bit of a crazy land there with Mr. Nielsen, revealing that he's not just uh, kind of creepy and a Christian, he also is killing people. Well, let's see where that all goes, shall we? Next time, it'll be on um, maybe two or three episodes from now, so come back and you will hear it. Up next, we've got Rory Sinjin with This Day in History, and where are they now in history? Right, Rory? Absolutely correct. Let's see, what day is today? Today is January the 19th. Is it not, Rory? That it absolutely is. Well, tell me. Please, won't you? What happened on January 19th? Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton. Did you know that on January 19th, 1977, President Gerald R. Ford pardons Tokyo Rose, Eva Tukuri, who broadcasts sentimental American music and phony announcements regarding U.S. troop losses in Japan in a vain attempt to destroy the morale of Allied soldiers? Let's listen. Oh, just a typical day in the White House here with me, Gerald Ford. <laughs> oh, I love being president. Thank you, Rich Nixon. Jerry, here's your pills. Yes, and where's my vodka? Over here, Jerry. Have some. Just pour it over the pills. I'm going to make myself a sundae. I'm going to put them both in this glass here, Jerry. Clink, yes. clink, clink. Now glug, the glug, ice glug. cream. Now the ice cream. Oh, yep. Here, what flavor do you want? Pistachio? Football. Oh, delicious. Ah, President wow. Ford, look out the, for the fold in the rug. What are you talking about, kid? That fold. That's pardon. not a fold. Pardon for Adolf Hitler. You tripped over the fold and hit the pardon machine, President. Pardon for Tokyo Rose. Yes, yes. Pardon for everyone. You're standing- Even Tokyo Rose. Rose. Pardon for pardon Richard button. Nixon. You just pardoned Nixon. Well, yes, he gave me this great job. But but you, that's idiotic. Pardon for Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> you just pardoned. Isn't he dead? No. Yes. <laughs> Who are you two guys? We're your assistants. I'm Jim. I'm Bob. And I can fly. No. Pardon for Gerald Ford. Yes, unfortunately, mixing prescription drugs and alcohol did make Gerald Ford the most unpopular president ever. Fortunately, as it said, he did pardon himself, so it was all all right. This is This Day in History on WHRW Bigot. But pardon me. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Gaston Wax. It's actually quite odd that Gerald Ford did become so unpopular because while he was on this pardoning bender, he pardoned every single person in the entire country, which it's conceivable he could have been made the savior of all mankind, having forgiven everyone for their legal sins, but in fact he didn't. All prisoners were released from jail, and they all did their crimes again, you know, thinking, no big deal, another president will mix his pills with his medication, and I'll be able to be excused once more. So they did all their stealing and their killing and their 
jaywalking. People were just running wild, doing all sorts of crimes. Fortunately, it was at that time that Nancy Reagan was elected president. She got rid of the entire concept of drugs, outlawed all medications and all alcohol, and made everyone consult the stars in order to make all their decisions. Now, that, of course, is unwise, as stars don't help you make decisions. People like extra historians are actually much better at that sort of thing. But she dismantled the pardoning machine. Therefore, everyone actually had to pay for all the crimes that they did, no matter who they were. The president was not allowed to pardon anyone. But that's a side issue. What you shouldn't do, even more than pardoning people, is mixing your prescription medications with alcohol. Thank you very much. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? All right, I just want to—I just want to say that that second one got a little weird, and, and it strayed a bit from the message of not mixing medications with alcohol. Well, I, I, it did, it did, and I, and I think it's actually—it's more of check and make sure that you, that your your medication does not conflict with alcohol, that there aren't adverse reactions. It's probably the, the more medically accurate one. But no, it just sort of struck me, so, so I wanted to talk about it. That the, the whole concept of presidential pardon is actually quite unusual. I, I don't really understand. Well, it's you know the president gets to pardon people. No, for- I understand what it is, but I didn't really understand why. I mean, why? should the president be allowed to pardon someone who absolutely was convicted of a crime? Well, it's a, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that you know that the president's allowed to do it, and I, I don't really know why. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason why. That's why. That's why I ask. It doesn't really make any sense at all when you think about it. That is a little weird. For example, if Frank Allen broke the law, why would there be someone whom, if they were friends with him, would be able to forgive him for that and, and make it so he didn't have to pay for it? Well, I mean, Frank Allen hasn't broken the law. Well, no, but I'm just saying as an example. I want to make sure that if and when he gets caught for doing something, whatever it may be, illegal, that he gets punished no matter what. Well, I don't understand why someone one should be able to absolve him of that. It doesn't really make any sense. If there is this this pardoning machine, what if someone does trip? No, no, that part of the, it isn't real. Well, yes, perhaps it's not real now, but it's going to be the future soon, and they may have a pardoning machine. They're not. No, I don't think they're ever going to do that because it, it would it would not make any sense. I, I think it's a lot of paperwork. But it could be it could be digital forms. Yes, but you're not going to accidentally fall and on a keyboard and type Frank Allen's name. You could if you have your your, your fingers spread out in a certain way, and when you fall, it hits your tendons and they twitch in a certain way. That could F R A N K space A L L. And it could happen. And then also send. Well, yes, yes. And and then also send. And when they bring him the paperwork, he's not paying attention and signs it. But it could be a digital signature. But I think... There would probably be some authentication so that something like that didn't happen. Because if they were to set it up that way, they'd, they'd want to make sure that there were no accidents. Well, that's a lot of ifs. That's all I'm saying. You're putting a lot of ifs on there. If, if that's what they do, then then I'm sure they'll figure something out. Well, I don't want to leave it to that. All I'm saying is I don't understand why. the pre- What's the useful part of having the president be able to pardon someone? What's an example of someone who, who did something illegal, was convicted, and, and deserves to be pardoned? And it's good that we have this in place. Um, somebody who stole moist food for their starving cats? Yeah, but that's not... That's not very likely to happen. Oh, so you're not going to feed your cats, is what you're saying. I'm not going to, we're not going to, oh, you know, this is, <laughs> this is getting silly. The president has that, that power. I don't really know why, but the president does. So maybe, maybe one of our readers will look it up and, and write to us. But for now, let's just move on. Um, Epic Echoes is the next show, and this is one that I wrote. It's a fun one. If you remember, in the last episode, uh, they did talk about how the, the flashback had died and was brought back to life. Well, in this episode, we get to find out how they were brought back to life. Let's enjoy. Epic Echoes, the Backward Series. Season 3, Episode 2, Flashpack Ex Machina, by Jordan D. White. Hold on to your helmets! 
Fridger's fuzz bottom ducked down in the left sidecar of the Jetto cycle as Jill Slaughter did the same in the right. Drowned Thornfield, their newly sane ally, clenched her thighs around the main body of the vehicle and rammed backwards, going into a loop-de-loop before diving straight at the ground. A little trailer full of equipment swung wildly behind the bike, carrying all the high-tech equipment and basket of ping-pong balls they'd acquired in their rendezvous back in time. Are they still on our tails? And gaining. Perfect. A horde of Vampiros Baker boys were rocketing after the three surviving members of the Flash Pack as they flared across the skyline of Vampiropolis, the capital of the Vampirosian Empire, in the year 4044. Are you almost ready, Fertress? I found it! Here we go. Mere feet from the ground in the middle of Huntington Square, Dralis pulled up, rocketing them back towards the sky at nearly an 80-degree angle. Did they make it? Behind them, two of the bikers smashed into the dirt in a blast of fire, but the vast majority made it in time to continue the chase, flying upwards in the same trajectory as the fleeing pack. They're looking peachy so far. Hit it, Catman. As Fertress recited his spell, liquid lava flowed forth from his paw tips and fell in their wake, slathering across the flesh and leather of the biker boy speeding behind them. The pursuers screamed as their limbs singed off their bodies and their bikes erupted in flames as the lava burned into their Flavidium tanks. We got them! You crazy little feline, you burned their butts off! I told you I could stop them! It was easy! Guys, I'm all for celebrations, but we might want to get to the museum before someone else realizes who we are, don't you think? Oh yeah, sorry. Hang on left and downish. A minute or four later, protected by a force bubble of Fertress's creation, the trio smashed the cycle from the front gate to the Vampiropolis Museum of Natural and Unnatural History, before totaling the vehicle right in the middle of a painting depicting the beheading of Charles Darwin. Keep moving! This is our only chance to save Max. We've got to make it. According to the brochure, the flash pack exhibit is this way. They booked down the hallway, holding the cases of miscellaneous equipment, causing screams all around them as innocent vampiro schoolchildren and history buffs recognized them. They could only assume the footsteps pounding towards them in their wake were security guards. Before long, they found themselves running towards a replica of the gates of the flashpoint. Inside, quick! Dralis, barricade the doors. Fertress, find the others. I'll set up the machine. Easy for you to say. What can I use as a barricade? I don't know. Use Keen's special freezer stove combo. What? She'd kill me! It's a replica, remember? Besides, I think she'd rather lose her stove than... Okay, no. But it's only replica. Just do it. Holy hairballs! You might need to see this! What is it, you little... Oh, my sweet laws of science! In a case in the next room of the Flashpoint Reconstruction stood the skeletonically preserved corpses of the Flashpack. The entire flashback, not just the fall in Max, Molly, Keen, and Jimmy. But, but that's us in there. That's nothing. Read the plaque. The remains of the enemies of the Empire, the Tratorius Flashpack, and their homosexual leader, Max Thornfield. See, they thought he was gay too. Forget that. How did we get in there? It doesn't say. It just says the Vampirosian Empire tracked us across time, hunting down every member until, well, here we are. So... Do we resurrect all of us? Why would we do that? We haven't died yet. If we die later, the others can bring us back. Or, preferably, we can stop us from dying in the first place. Now quick, get the others into the resurrection machine and don't knock over the ping pong ball. Are you sure we should use it? Julie always said so. One-time usage type deal. If this isn't the right time... You want we should use it next time you kill half the group? No, I think this is the time. When I went back to take it from Julie, she seemed to think it was a good idea. If this device really works, why didn't you use it when Julie died? We would have, believe me. But I told you we didn't have it anymore. Julie told us a flashback from the future came and took it from her as soon as she'd finished it. Which turned out to be us now. She said we just need the real bodies of our fallen friends. I know, I just... 
don't want to end up in that display with them. We could just go on like this, the three of us. We make a pretty good team. We could take out the vampires on our own, I bet. Especially me and Just help us get them between the pylons, Fuzzface. Security's at the door. All right, all right. Here, here's Max. That's the last of them. All right. Stand back, everyone. Julie said all I have to do is something like this. Slaughter swung down the large lever on the fourth pylon and electricity shot out in all directions, filling the air with blue-white light and standing all their hair on end, causing Fertress to become a little puffball of hair. The lights of the faux flashpoint dimmed as energy was drawn from every nearby source, creating a soul vacuum, drawing back the eternal essences of their fallen friends. The ping-pong balls flew into the air, swirling around in a waltz through the tingling fields. The images of their comrades became visible in the buzzing air over the dead bodies. Look! I can see Max's spirit! It's working! Of course it is. Julie never lets us down. What about the whole dying thing? Are you trying to get your face pounded in? She died saving my life! Oh, or did I owe her one? Shut up, I think it's happening. Indeed, the ping pong balls began whizzing about faster than the eye could follow, nearly giving Furch's whiplash as he attempted to track one. Then, in one last spectacular swoop, the balls all swirled and collided with the dead bodies on the floor. The energy vanished, the lights restored to full illumination, and the only sound was that of 57 ping-pong balls bouncing on the floor. Uh, are they breathing? They still smell dead. I don't think Jordy's machine... Julie? Max! You're alive! Oh, praise the Holy Pantheon! Is that you, Julie? Not quite. Are you guys okay? Ugh, my occipital lobe hurts. Oh, that I sort of ripped it out. Uh, did you take my colon too? Sorry. Ugh, my head is pounding. That might be the vampiros pounding on the door, actually. I think we should get out of here, Slider! You might be right. Hands, everyone. The flashback all grasped one another by the hands, and Slider sent them and their machinery spitting through the time as a full group for the first time in a long time. The pack flashed into existence again in a large chamber within a cave. The recently de-deceased members looked a little woozy. Whoa. Careful, Max. You're still weak. Where did you take us, Jill? First place I could think of. Remember that cave system in Italy we had that map for back before you died? I figured it would be safe to rest in. So we really died? The last thing I remember was Drowls coming towards me, looking a little peeved. I remember a bit more than that, but nothing since the axe caught me. Gosh, Max, I'm so sorry. It was nothing personal. I know your note she didn't kill me. You were hiding. So how did you bring us back? Remember Julie's resurrection machine? Julie? You saw Julie? Of course. She, she said the pack took it when we needed it most. She gave us a bunch of other random stuff, too, see? How long were we dead? In our time, about a month. A month? Oh my god. I have to... I have to go to the bathroom. I guess it's a long time to hold it. So what exactly happened, anyway? I can't believe we made Dralis that mad. No, of course not, Max. I love you guys. I think I can explain. Slaughter relayed all that had happened to the mini-pack since their leader had died. Meanwhile, Keenan slipped out of the mouth of the cave, but rather than going to the bathroom, she was using her info glasses once again to contact her secret lover, Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore. Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore. William, my love. Sarah, you're alive. How, how wonderful, splendiferous, truly. How did this wonderful, miraculous event occur? That doesn't matter now. I just... If you still feel the same way you did before I died, the answer is still yes. Yes? Of course I'll marry you. Oh, yes. Yes. But of course, you haven't, uh, you haven't 
talk to your friends about us, have you? Of course not. It's none of their business. They wouldn't understand anyway. You know, I think you might just be right about that, my darling. Am I am I reading this right? Are you in Italy in 1941? Yes, my love. I'll meet you as soon as I can. Shall we say five miles south? Coincidentally, the rest of the pack were discussing that self-same nobleman at that very instant. Hang on. You're saying Sir William Alfred Wickersham is half Empiros? Well, it makes sense. He is the 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore. Of course. Why didn't I realize? He's the reason I attacked all of you guys. He fed off my innocence, then set me loose to kill all of you. He would have turned me afterwards if not for Jill. Hang on. Half Vampiros can make new Vampiros? I should say so. How else could Sir William Alfred Wickersham have made us? Isn't that right, beloved? But of course, sweetness. Flaming Flutwana, Lucian Calliope, how did you find us, you malicious messier? It was simple, fool. We had a map. There, in Lady Calliope's hand, was the map of the cave system which the pack had misplaced some months earlier. And now, Flashpack, prepare to fall before the Vampirosian Empire. Been there, done that. Right, Molly? Uh, Molly? Where the heck is Molly? Don't worry, my little throw rug. We'll kill her, too, wherever she is. Wherever she was, was running through the caves, bearing due south, toting a sword and tracking her good friend Sarah. Keen, I never should have kept your relationship a secret. I knew William was up to no good. I just pray I'm not too late. Will Molly reach Keen in time to save her? Will Max and company survive their encounter with Lucian and Calliope? Will they be able to stem the scourge of the Vampiros as a whole? And will they ever get home again? Find out for sure in the next episode of Epic Echoes, The End of the Beginning. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dralis Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tong Wen Wong was Sarah Keen, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertress Fuzzbottom, Charles Berman was Sir William Alfred Wickersham, Jordan D. White was Lucian, and Magdalena Richards was Calliope. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Scape, I guess it's time for Scaby Stories now. Oh, that it is, that it is, that it is. Right, here we go, Scaby Stories. Scabby Stories From a Cat in the Dark Hello and welcome to Scabby Stories from a Cat in the Dark My name is Jordan White and with me are my cat Scape who is going to be telling a story And Mr. Patsy Kennedy who is going to be listening to the story Hello, it's, yeah, it's real nice of you to have me here uh, Because it's like advertisement for my show I do a show called Don't Believe It on the radio And uh, it's about the stuff that's not true Whereas this, uh, you know, it's going to be a story I don't know if it's going to be a true story or not But uh, yeah, it's good to be on on the show. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. As he said, my name is Scapey, and I'm going to tell a story. Yes, and this one is going to be a particularly interesting one because I read the story to Scapey uh, yesterday, so hopefully he remembers it, but he he might not. Dad, I remember. I have a good memory. 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 I mean, I can remember a lot of stuff, so this one is going to be very scary, by the way. Uh, I haven't been acting scary, but this one is going to be scary, okay? <laughs> it's called The Feet by Mark Channing. Okay, so, like, once upon a time, I was, like, I was, like, talking to my uncle. My uncle Harvey. Uh, a lot of people thought he was, like, a weirdo because he corrected stuff. Uh, but he, and he was a weirdo, is the thing. But, but it doesn't matter. Point is, he was, he corrected lots of weird stuff. Oh, like, uh, like, like moon landing stuff? You know, stuff from when they faked the moon landing, you mean? Well, no, not that kind of, like, like, weird stuff. Like, like, spooky stuff. And what was double weird? 
weird about him is that he was, like, afraid of the stuff that he corrected. He was, like, frightened of it. He thought it really did have, like, magic. But, well, well, I will tell you the story. Yeah, that's what we're here for. You know, you, you got to just tell the story, you know? If you're going to, if you if you know the story, just tell that's it. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. So, like I said, I was talking to him, and he, I was, I went to his house. Uh, I went to his house, and I was like, I heard you have lots of weird stuff. And he was like, oh, yeah, I got, I got a lot of weird stuff. Do you want to see? And I was like, yeah, let's go see the weird stuff. He was like, okay. And so we went up to the first place where the weird stuff was, and um, he opens up the cabinet of weird stuff, and there's like, uh, I don't know, things, like weird things, and I don't remember what things, but there were some things. Anyway, then I reached down and I said, oh, what if one of these bears here? Ding, ding, ding. And he goes, hey, don't touch my stuff. Don't touch it. Oh, my God. You didn't touch these things right here, did you? And he was pointing, and they were, what they were was two little feet made out of, like, I don't know, wax or something, and they looked like they had been chopped off somebody because, like, they were, you know, they were sculpted, right? Wax or whatever. And they had, like, sculpted gory parts where it was chopped off, you know, like blood and stuff. Oh, that doesn't sound too cool. That's, uh, that's pretty gross sounding. Yeah. I mean, it was gross looking, too. So, okay, so I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't touch the weird feet. Why? What's wrong? What's up with these weird feet? And he was like, all right, do you want to know this scary story? And I was like, yeah, tell, all right, tell me the scary story. Oh, you, oh, I thought you were telling me a scary story. No, the, I am telling, I'm telling it to you, but he told this part to me. Wait, no, I'm, I'm confused. Did he tell the whole thing to you, or did he just tell you this part now it's coming up? Like, I thought the whole thing, what, what, what kind of story was I hearing before if this is not a scary story? I thought this whole thing was supposed to be the scary story. The whole thing together turns into one big scary story, but the part that, the part that we were just talking about is like the setup. All right, look, just listen, okay? This is a scary story, he told me, okay? He goes, well, okay, here's what happened. Once upon a time, um, there was a, a scary guy with, like, lots of powers. Um, he moved to, uh, this country from, like, India, where he had lots of evil powers in India. And he moved to this country, and he brought along, like, lots of <coughs> women, because he had, like, a harem of, of women, okay? And, um, so he was, <coughs> he was, like, but he was evil, I guess, and he used black magic. And one of the girls in his harem was, like, a little dancing girl, and she used to have little bells on her feet, and uh, she fell in love with a, a, another Englishman from England. Like, that's where we live, do you know? No, 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 we don't live in England. We live in America. This is America we live in. Yeah, but the story takes place in England, okay? Because the character I am, me, in the story, is English guy. Oh, but you're not an English guy, so I don't understand what that's about. No, it's a story. Yeah, but if it's a story about you, you're a, you're a cat and you're an American cat, so I don't see how there's an English guy involved. Right. You just have to use your imagination, okay? Dad, you, you don't do a good job, Dad. What? 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 How is this my fault? Because you don't brief people on the concept of story. This is going to be a fictional story. I'm sorry. This is going to be a fictional story, Patsy. All, all right. That's a different thing. Why didn't you tell me? If you if you would just told me that from the first place, I would have, uh, you know, been expecting that a cat can be an English guy. All right. So, so back to the story my uncle was telling me. Okay. He's like, there's a guy in the air and he comes here and the wife with the, with the bears and she fell in love with an English guy and to the point is he was 
pretty mad, and so he, not the English guy, the evil Indian, okay? So he cuts off the girl's feet as, tor- as like, punishment, torture. The feet that have real bones on them. So, long story short, uh, I guess, whatever, time passed and the guy died, I guess. It was a long time ago. But, the house was haunted and cursed, and everybody was like, that's scary. <laughs> and, like, somebody moved in right afterwards, and, uh, they all died, one by one. Die, 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 die. And, uh, then everybody was like, well, we're not gonna live there because it's haunted and cursed, so, um, so the house was just empty for a very long time. Until, says my uncle, until I bought it. Just now. That, this is, that's this house right here. Okay. And when I bought it, um, they were like, by the way, uh, here's a thing. It's haunted. And so I was like, well, I'll stay there for a little while before I sign it just to make sure I don't think it's really haunted. Okay. Or that I'm not too scared or whatever. And, um, they were like, okay, um, we tried to hire like a butler or a caretaker or whatever, but we can only get, Indian guy because like English guys won't go in it because they're too scared. And I was like, okay, whatever. Says the uncle. I don't care. That's fine. So I'm on my way to the place, to the house, to spend the night in the house and meet the caretaker and all that. And um, an, an Indian mystical woman I saw somewhere. I don't remember. But I saw her. It's like, hey, do you want a special magic doll that will protect you from curses? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? That sounds pretty good. No, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't believe that. That's not. That's not the way things work. Well, it's a story. First of all, it's not me. It's my uncle. Second of all, it's a story. And third of all, it's 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 a magic thing. No, no, no. See, because people try to sell you on that, but that's not the way it is. It's like a conspiracy. They always say everybody gets together and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're going to pretend magic is real," but then it's not real. It's all it's all part of the government. The government knows this thing. They want to make everybody believe in magic because that way, you know, they're more susceptible to uh, the aliens' control. What? No, there's still aliens in the story. This is a story that took place a long time ago with an England, not even in America. That, yeah, that's that's what you think, all right? But uh, the fact is, England and America are all run by the same world government that's working with the aliens. You know, it's all it, it seems like they're separate countries, but that's just what they want you to think. You shouldn't believe it. Don't believe it, is what I'm saying. Uh, okay, okay, fine. They're in secret America, England, okay? And the alien artifact is going to help him, but the point is it's going to help him. So he's like, okay, I take it. Okay? All right. So he takes the real doll. It's Okay, here's what it is, though. It's a real doll made out of wax shaped like a girl. Okay? But it's small. So that its feet, maybe, perhaps, were like around the same size as perhaps, say, I don't know, the feet that we're talking about in the cabinet. Okay? You get me? That's a weird coincidence. No, well... <sighs> Yeah, but, all right, let's keep going. So, my uncle was like, I took the thing, I put it in my pocket, I went to the house. When I rang the doorbell, the Indian guy was there, and he was really freaky looking. He was like, scary looking. And I was like, oh, that guy is scary looking. His eyes seemed dark and somehow dead to the world, or perhaps evil in some way. And so I was like, oh, this is spooky. <laughs> and so inside I go, and um, oh, I forgot to say, I think that when they talked about the ghost in the place, they would always say, like, it would sound like bears, maybe? Okay. So, so that, anyway, so I'm here, and the guy was freak, freaky a little bit, and I was like, that guy's freaky. And so I come in, and I'm like, okay, good night. That's 
So I'm gonna spend the night. And, um, uh, long story short, I would hear bells. Like, ring, 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 bells getting closer. And I was like, what is all this bells getting closer thing? And, um, I would, I was like, I, I think something is coming and I don't understand. And, um, oh, and I also forgot to tell you that after I got the doll, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot I read this. This is the problem with him having heard the story yesterday. He forgets how it goes. Well, that's what they want you to think, but, uh, you know, he, he might just forget because they use the mind beam on him. What? They use the mind beam. They, they have a control beam that they shoot into your mind, all right? And uh, it, like, uh, makes you lose time. It like, makes you uh, black out, lose time. And so maybe uh, you lost part of the story, but then it comes back later for some reason. I don't know. Maybe there was hypnosis. It comes back under post-hypnotic suggestion. Well, I wasn't just hypnotized. Uh, well, as far as we know, but you never know. Well, oh, gosh. All right, here's the story. Anyway, but the part I forgot was, when I, after I got the doll, I was reading about, like, spookiness, the history of this house, and I really was awake, I thought, but um, it looked like somebody's hand came out and grabbed the doll, and I was like, no, and I grabbed it first, and so I, I kept it, okay. And I really wanted to keep it, because when the girl gave it to me, she was like, it protects you, and anybody who has this can't be, you know, killed by evil magic Indian stuff. So, anyway, uh, I heard the bears ding, 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 coming closer, and I'm like, what is all that about? And um, at another point, I thought maybe I saw, no, no, I, it was dark, I think, and uh, I had the doll in my pocket still, and I felt like something was grabbing at the, my pocket, and I reached up and grabbed it, and I couldn't see anything, but it felt just like somebody's cold, dead hand was grabbing around, and I'm like, what is this? But I managed to hold him off. And so, what I saw next was, um, well, I don't remember what it was. Oh, I do remember. So, I would hear the bells and, um, when I saw them, what it was, was the two chopped off feet. Not the, the little wax ones we're talking about now, but the two chopped off feet of the dancing girl, like, running around with little bells on them. Okay? So, it was like ghost feet, is the point. So, that was kind of scary. And what the, then there was the thing with the grabbing, and when they ran away, I was like, I better follow them, I guess. <laughs> For some reason. And, um, so they ran into the room where the harem was, right, supposed to be. And, um, and inside I found the caretaker guy, and he looked, like, really super evil. And I was like, oh, that's weird, because he's supposed to be, like, a caretaker guy, not some kind of evil guy. But he, like, jumped up and kind of was coming at me, and I was like, I am protected by the star! The star protects me! I'm protected! And so I held up, I was holding up the doll. I had it in my hand. And he was like, ah, but he jumped at me anyway, and he grabbed the doll, and he was trying to take the doll away from me. And I was like, no, 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 no. And so I was purring, and he was purring, and I was purring, and the feet broke off the doll. That was what I was holding. The feet broke right off, and I fell over and, like, hit my head or something because I, I was, like, unconscious. And when I woke up, there was, like, some Indian guy I never saw before going, oh, sir, sir, wake up. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> and he was like, oh, hey, dude, uh, I'm the caretaker of this place, and I'm sorry I wasn't here yesterday. What happened? Like, because, like, I was with my wife. She was sick in the hospital, so, um, the point is, obviously, that other guy was not really the guy. He was not the caretaker. Maybe he was the evil guy from the story. Anyway, okay, so, but, uh, but my uncle says, I had the feet there, and this is what, this was them, and they looked 
like severed feet now. And so I was like, oh gosh, these are the only thing that saved me. And so I have to keep them forever because, you know, otherwise uh, I'll get killed or something by those ghosts. And so he was like, that's the end of my story. That's the end of the story? That's not even... The, the, the... No, no, that was the end of his story. Okay, so now I go back to my story. All right, all right. So I was like, that's really not a, a true story. That was a stupid story. And my uncle is like superstitious and dumb. Right. No, you should. I mean, you're right. That story is clearly not true. But you shouldn't be judging your uncle because he's superstitious. Because some of those superstitions are based on actual stuff that the government is doing to us. Like you know, they say knock on wood, and people go you know, knock on wood like that. But that's they, it's not really because of like evil spirits or something. But it is because that's what they do. They put the bugs, the the listening devices, in the wood, and when you knock on it, it like disrupts the field, and it it, it triggers so they can't transmit the last thing you said. So you're like, uh, you know, meet me at midnight, and we'll overthrow the government. Knock on wood, and then they don't hear that last part because he gets knocked out of the memory of the of the, the bug in the wood. What? No, this is not about that. Whatever you. No. Okay. Um. Here's what happened. So I was like, "That's a stupid story. He's wrong. It doesn't need his feet." Clearly. So I was like, "All right, I'll teach him a lesson." What I'll do is I will steal these little feet. Okay. And then a couple of days from now, I'll say, "Uncle, I stole your feet, and I'm sorry I lost them." But clearly, you were just crazy because nothing happened to you since then. So, so I steal them. I put them in my back pocket, and we're like walking out. And I was like, "So what happened to the guy uh, that you fought with the character?" Taker anyway. He was like, uh, well, duh, he probably went to, like, hell because he was an evil ghost of some sort. And I was like, okay, yeah, weird. And all of a sudden, uh, we heard the sound of bears, like, running, like, getting closer and closer and closer. And I was like, what, what? And I reached into my pocket to grab the little wax feet, and they were gone. And my uncle goes, the feet! And then he died. The end. All right, all right. No, that's a good story, and it is it is scary. Uh, although I think uh, that your uncle missed the whole point because it wasn't kill a feet. Well, uh, I mean, it was because that's what it was. It was about ghost feet. No, no, no. Well, I think what is going on there is pretty obvious, actually. What it is is the government likes to use killer monkeys, assassin monkeys, and uh, they put bells on them so that you know, so that they know where the assassin monkeys are. But since monkeys don't normally have bells on them, people don't hear the bells and go, "Oh, it's a monkey." You know, they don't look for a monkey. They're like looking for, you know, whatever, feet or dogs or something. And uh, meanwhile, the monkeys are swinging around on the rafters, you know, up at the ceiling. And you're looking down at the at the ground thinking, where's it? Hey, where's this uh, little uh, dog that's ringing a bell or something? And uh, the, the assassin monkey just like uh, shoots a poison dart right at you. You don't even know. You never even find out. Because you just look right past the monkey. You don't even expect to see a monkey. You don't see a monkey. No, there's no monkeys in the story. Well, like I said, because you're not looking for one. If you're looking for a monkey in that story, you find it. I found the monkey right away. I, I saw it because I knew it was there. No, there's no monkey. There's no monkey in this story. It's a story about feet. It's not about monkey. All right. It's your show, so uh, that's the way you want to be. But I don't believe it. And I don't think anybody else should believe it. Everybody at home, don't believe don't, it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. All right. Listen. Stew. Quiet down. Hey. The scary part of this show is, okay, ghost feet could kill you and like little wax feet might get stolen. That's a very specific moral scape. I don't, I mean, that goes to this, but I don't know if that applies to anybody else's life. It it does if they have ghost feet and wax feet. Well, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. It only apply, it, Most people don't meet ghost feet, and if they do, they probably don't have wax feet. I mean, what are the odds? Well, the odds are one hundred percent. What? Because this is the only story I've heard with ghost feet, and the person also had wax feet. So okay, so a hundred percent of that's that's faulty logic and. Dad, it's not okay. Here's a here's a threat. Okay, I'll do a slightly different 
Siri Moore, okay? Okay, good. Your jerk nephew's gonna steal stuff from you and get you killed. Scary Moro actually is really good because it applies to this one and also to the one from a year ago where the nephew killed the woman. Well, that's true. No, no, it's not true. No, because th this is the thing. They they put this idea out there that nephews kill people, but nephews don't kill people. Those are those. It's the monkeys, all right? It's the monkeys. You, you're looking at nephews when you should be looking up at the ceiling. There's a hey, guess what? There's a monkey in the corner. There's not a monkey in the corner. There's a hey. You know what? You want to live not knowing about killer monkeys? You go right about it because next time you don't look in the corner, there's going to be a monkey there and you might get killed. All right. So if that's the way you want to live your life, that's the way you can live your life. But I search for monkeys when I go into a room. All right. That's how I know there's none in here right now. Because I looked when I came in. All right. And that's why I was safe right now. If there wasn't any, then we were already safe before you looked. Uh, well, whatever. You know, they could come in, but I keep on guard. So look, the point is, uh, don't believe it. Don't believe it. This is nonsense. You are, you are me and it's my show. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll have to let Scapey uh, win the argument here. So nephews are pretty dangerous. Probably more than monkeys. Don't believe it. Yeah. Well, we'll just let him believe it. All right. But you at home, don't believe oh, it. That's it. Okay. That's it. Scapey Stories will be back next week and it's a scary show. Okay. So there. All right. Well, th that was an interesting scape story. And uh, rather than disagree with you about what it was about scape, I'm just going to move on with my life and say we should get right to Decker and Hayes because we've got some listener mail coming up at the end. So here's Decker and Hayes. Decker and Hayes, Season 2, Episode 8, The Last Spider, by Lynn Nelson. Macy Hayes had woken up about three hours ago in Paige's apartment. The first thing she'd seen was Paige's face, followed by Julian's. Having spent the last few days in a brainwashed and insane state, the last thing Macy remembered was Lexi cutting off the little toe of her left foot. After calming her down, Paige and Julian filled her in to the best of their ability. Macy had a hard time swallowing all of the terrible things she did, so Paige brought up her recorded files on her computer. Now, curled up on Paige's futon, she absentmindedly fingered the stump where her toe had been while she was assaulted with the sounds of her forgotten experiences. 1,982. Landsberg's not company, Macy. He's not even private security. He's just some mafioso who wants to have you as a hired hand. He's paying me to break you. Good thing we went through torture prep together, right? I know all the things you hate. I know all the things that make you freak. 1,983. 1,984. How? How could this happen? Not Lexi, not my Lexi. But Landsberg, I knew he was trouble. Could he have brainwashed her too? How can such a close partner be so cruel? Gosh, I'm so ashamed. Paige shot a questioning look at Julian. She really should know. Should know what? It's gonna be rough, hon, but Jules is right. You need to hear this. Oh, Alexi. How romantic. You always know it revs my engine. I've always known you better than you know yourself. When are we supposed to meet with Landsberg? We have a lunch date with him in an hour and a half. That gives us a little time to play cops and robbers. The only one who has to be jealous around here is Stella. 
Stella who? Oh, oh God! What have I done, Jules? How could I? And she was faithful to me, and I get jealous when some bimbo seduces her and she kisses that dumb blonde? How could I? It's not your fault, Mace. Listen, hon, they brainwashed you. Maxie took advantage of you. Stella will understand. Oh, God, Stella! <laughs> shh, shh, there, there. <laughs> Jules. Jules, we have to get Stella. It's time for her to know this has gotten way out of hand. I have to tell her. I have to see her. We have to get this thing straightened out, but I don't have my wits about me, and I need Stella. I... I want Stella. Stella who? You are so not funny. In South Tip, Mama Wang had company. Normally, she would have been less than thrilled to welcome a spider into her house of ill repute. But this was Johnny Vasquez, leader of the Spiders, the man who had captured and raped Stella's ex for the past 17 years. And he was out cold. Mama had given Stella one of her underground rooms so that no one would hear what sounds came from it. Johnny Vasquez was tightly bound on the floor and just coming to. As he blinked his eyes open, his vision adjusted to reveal Stella sitting in a chair against the opposite wall. Nice of you to join me, Johnny. I was starting to think you'd forgotten our date. What? What the hell? So you don't remember me, do you, Johnny? That makes me very sad. I thought we had something going. As Johnny's vision adjusted, he took in his surroundings. He was in a fairly large room with a bed. On the bed were all kinds of... toys... Things that Johnny recognized. Things he had used for evil. I hope you don't mind. I raided your closet, Johnny boy. Waiting for you got lonely, so I had to peek around. It's a nice place you've got there. Looks like you have a lot of fun. St Stella? Well, it's good to be remembered. So it's you. You've slaughtered my brothers and sisters. How does it feel, puta? Stella got up from her chair and walked over to the bed. She pulled up a black rollout bag and unrolled it across the bed. It contained several knives and daggers of different shapes and sizes. As she spoke, she selected a glove she had made for herself that ran four blades over the knuckles of her four fingers, effectively giving her a huge claw. She also selected a small curved dagger, which she put aside, and two... different toys which she put with her dagger. I won't lie to you, Vasquez. The taste of victory never ceases to be oh so sweet. But even better than victory these days, my poor doomed friend, is the taste of revenge. I've been rolling it around my tongue for a few hours now, and I have to tell you, it is an incredible taste. Stella walked over to where Johnny was hunched up against the wall and stabbed her forefinger blade into his thigh. <sighs> She knelt down next to him and looked him in the eye. Don't ever call me a whore again, you hear me, Johnny? You couldn't dream of deserving a class act like me, and you don't know how to treat a whore. Stella began tracing her blades down Johnny's right arm from shoulder to elbow. You were stupid to come back to your place, Vasquez. Pride always was your downfall. Did you think I'd let you go? Do you think I'd ignore the years of abuse and disgust and filth you heaped upon my poor, sweet, innocent Tasha? You mean disgust me. You're just jealous you've never had a real man to show you how things are done. Tasha got what she wanted. Don't let her tell you otherwise. 
Stella sliced at Johnny's face with the tips of her glove <sighs> and smacked him with her left hand. Poor Johnny. I'm sure you don't know what you're in for, but I hope you're looking forward to a taste of your own medicine. Stella got up and walked over to the bed where she picked up the toys she had set aside. I will never understand what the appeal is. Bring it, you blade! You blade-ess! You think you can beat Johnny Vesquez? You think you can be the downfall of the spiders? You stupid martyr! Pathetic excuse for a slasher! Do your worst! It's all been done before! Stella came toward Johnny with a rather large phallic symbol and her curved dagger. The name's Stella, dearest. I'm just reminding you so you know who to beg for mercy. Outside the door and down the hallways sat Mama Wang in a red upholstered chair, sipping tea. A smile broke her lips as she heard the first blood-curdling scream of the night pierce the air in her underground lair. <coughs> Uptown, outside the office of Decker and Hayes Detective Agency, a sedan pulled up and parked near the sidewalk. Macy, Page, and Julian emerged from it. I'm nervous. What if I can't look her in the face? Who knows if she's even here? She didn't pick up the phone. We'll go in first, Mace. It's going to be a bit of a shock for her to see you, let alone find out what's happened to you. We'll bring her down gentle-like. Well, okay. I guess you're right. The three went in the building, and Julian knocked on the door marked Decker and Hayes Detective Agency. There was no answer, so he opened the door and took a few steps in. Macy! Oh, God, Macy, come quick! What is it? Oh, God! Oh, no, how did this... Oh, God, what happened? Tommy, Tommy, what happened to you, Tommy? Macy knelt next to Tommy's body, which lay on the floor next to the desk in a pool of blood. Paige picked up the phone, dialed, and told the police their location. He's been shot! Tell them he's been shot! I don't think he's breathing! I can't find a pulse, Jules! I can't find a pulse! Oh, Tommy, who did this to you? They're on their way. In the waiting room at Our Lady of Mercy. So, explain again how you... what you do again? I record people's conversations and background noises for the sake of helping my employers find out the truth. I'm a truth giver. I see. And Stella hired you? Julian gave Stella my name a while ago when she needed to hack someone's credit card information. I guess she liked my work. Gosh, the secrets we keep from each other sometimes. I really love her. I know you do. She's pretty nuts about you. Jules? Yeah, Mace? You don't think... No. It's not even a possibility? Everything is a possibility. I don't know how I'd live with myself. You didn't kill him, Macy. I'd already picked you up last time Paige saw him. I shot at him before. I came so close to killing him. Macy, you have got to get over this. None of this is your fault, and we'll straighten everything out. But we need you to keep your head. You're right. You okay, Paige? I'll be fine. I'm a little worried. An ER doctor came into the waiting room. Uh, you're the family of the gunshot victim? Paige practically sprung up from her seat, and the three of them followed the doctor into the hallway for some privacy. I'm so sorry to be the bearer of this news. Upstairs on the third floor, Tasha's phone rang. Hello? Tasha, you don't have to worry now. A blade always has her sister's back. Stel- Stel- What are you talking about? Where are you? I'm at Mama's. I can't explain everything now, but I want you to get a good night's sleep tonight. Everything's going to be okay. Well, okay, Stella, but I hope soon you'll tell me what's going on. You didn't give me weird dreams. I'm sorry, kid. I'll come by tomorrow and we'll talk. Okay. Good night, Stella. Good night. 
Stella hung up the phone and collapsed on Mama Wang's lap, smeared with blood and sweat. Mama smoothed her hair back slowly. I still feel so... empty, Mama. Give it time, dear. Time will heal all. Meanwhile, Macy, Julian, and Paige had hauled their tired and cried-out bodies back to the office of Decker and Hayes at Macy's insistence. She knelt around Tommy's dried blood in the carpet, tears still streaming down her cheeks. Tommy, Tommy, my poor Tommy. Paige sat completely dejected at Tommy's desk. Suddenly the phone rang. The three looked at each other quizzically for a moment, and Macy burst back out into tears. <laughs> Paige took a deep breath and picked up the phone. Decker and Hayes, detective agency. Who's calling the girls? What will Stella do to Johnny? How will Macy find her and break the news to her? And how will all four of them figure out who Landsberg and Drake really are? Tune in for next week's episode of Decker and Hayes, Women of the Night. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tyman, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Johnny Vasquez was Nicholas Roach, Julian McGuinness was Rich Bellin, Paige was Magdalena Richards, Mama Wang was Tong Wen Wong, Tasha was Guinevere Eckert, and the Doctor was Jacob Thompson. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. And now, Scapey, do us a quick song, because we got to get to that mail. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, here it is. Okay, 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 that's good. Um, here we go with listener mail. We've got three pieces of mail. Listen, just because we got listener mail doesn't mean that you shouldn't write in as well. Because what will happen is everyone will think, oh, good, they're getting mail again, we won't write in. And then no one will write in. So please, continue to write in castinwax at gmail.com. This first one is for Scapey. Please, 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 don't cut my head off. I only have the one, and I couldn't manage to lose the one I have. Scapey, please, take mercy on me. I'll write whatever you want. Just don't kill me, oh God. I hope this satisfies the beast. Pity me, Scapey, please. Anonymous. What is, what is that person talking about? You you threatened to cut off the head of anyone who didn't write it. Oh, yeah, with the axe. Well, better keep writing in, everybody. That's right, that's right. So so you've, so you've granted your mercy? Oh, yeah, mercy, mercy, mercy on you. But the thing is, it's anonymous, so you don't know who it is. Oh. Well, I think that means you, you won't be able to cut anybody's head off, just in case they might be the one. Yeah. I guess, oh, I guess that's what it is. That sucks. Sort of does. Rory, this one is for you. Dear Rory, I'm so glad I heard your segment on the podcast today. I cannot listen again to exactly what you said as I cannot afford headphones and the librarians have told me to stop playing sounds on the computer. Uh, if only I could afford a computer and internet connection. But I clearly recall that you said something about giving extra historical readings. This is a godsend. Please tell me where you are so I can begin thumbing my way there as soon as possible. I feel that I must have an extra historical reading done as soon as possible so that I will see an alternate successful version of myself and know what he did so that I can emulate it in this version of history. Then, ah, then, I will be able to feed myself and my family and will not constantly be hounded by the bloodthirsty agents of the state, greedy for the last pennies that I do not have. I will have the money I need to pay for the medicine that could cure my four-year-old son's terminal disease. Oh, thank you, Rory, from the depths of my heart for giving this service away. You can never understand how happy this makes me. How can I reach you? Thank you, and may God bless you, though he has forsaken me. Benedict Huxley, Jr. P.S. When I arrive, could you spare but a morsel for food? I have not eaten in days. So, Rory, you said you were going to give a free extra historical reading. Would you want to give it to this guy? Well, um, well, not, not, not exactly. And the way it works is basically your, your name is entered into a drawing and you get your extra historical reading and you pay full price, which at this point is, again, a little higher than it used to be, but you, you pay full price 
for it. And then after I've got, I've built up a number of readings, I will draw a name out of a hat and I will refund the, that amount of money with, uh, minus, of course, uh, you know, service fees and, and taxes, state taxes, of course. I will refund the main bulk of the amount that they paid. So, Mr. Huxley, I mean, I'm, I'd be happy to, to enter you into this contest. All you have to do is, again, come to see me and we will arrange that. If you don't have a credit card, again, I do take cash, I do take check, but I'd rather not take check, especially from what I've heard of your circumstances. So, really more, more cash charge, certified check, uh, that I would take. Um, and then, like I said, if, if you do win, then, then you get it for free. No, but Rory, you said you were going to do it on the, on the, on the show. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I, I say a lot of things, but all right, well, I'll, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. So you're going to prepare this guy an extra historical reading for next episode? Maybe, well, I, I will, if, but who's going to pay for it? No, I mean, Rory, don't you think he, he sounds like he's really in need? You could just give him his for free. That's not fair to all the people who, who paid for their reading already. Well, you could give another one away for free. <laughs> Come on now. All right. And we do have one more piece of mail. It says, Dear Jordan, Rory, and Scapey, I have to say I am shocked. I used to be Frank Allen's biggest fan. He was a great host, interviewer, and investigative journalist, or so I thought. He asked all the best questions, got the best guests, and solved murders. He was really great, or so I thought. I hated when an episode didn't contain a Frank Allen interviewer, one of Frank's thought-provoking debate shows. Then I heard how he treated you. I was disgusted at how he told you all off before ditching the podcast. Let me tell you, I am with you guys all the way. I would like to help out in any way I can. Here's what I'm thinking. Being such a big fan of Frank's for so long, I have learned to emulate his style perfectly. I think I could do Hank Fallon interviews. That's his name, Hank Fallon. In a style that would be almost exactly like Frank's. It would be almost as good, if not as good, as having Frank Allen there, since it would be pretty much exactly the same. Let me know. I hope I can help fill the hole that bastard Frank Judas Allen created when he left your podcast and my dreams behind. Sincerely, Hank Fallon. Well, Hank, listen, I do appreciate it, and I'm glad you enjoyed all of Frank's stuff back when he was a good person, um, so to speak, or we thought he was anyway. But as far as that, I mean, having you do an impression, I mean, we could do an impression of Frank, so it, I mean, if, we, if that's what we wanted to do, we would just do Jordan interviews, and I, I would do an interview. You can't sound like Frank Allen. I could. I'd be like, I am Frank Allen. I'm, you know, hey, I'm gruff. That doesn't sound like Frank Allen. Well, okay, fine. The point is we don't need Frank Allen. We already discussed this on this episode. We don't need Frank Allen. You don't need Frank Allen. The show's better off without Frank Allen. But uh, it's time for us to get going. Uh, is, that, is about it. Please write into us at castandwax at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think about the whole lack of Frank Allen thing. Let us know what you think about anything that happens to be on your mind, preferably related to the show in some way. All right, um, and that is about it, right, guys? Yeah. Yes. Well, then I will be seeing you. My personality was downloaded and backed up. Implants implanted, so my reflexes are jacked up. Make sure to spring for a lifetime warranty, so parts and labor are free in case I ever start to act up. Packed full of isotope, run off nuclear power, and fuel injected running 60 miles an hour. With sonic generators under my skin, destroying dirt from within, so I don't ever have to shower. I feel revitalized, performance optimized, perfection realized. Upgrades will improvise, but now I'm stigmatized for being motorized.
two big handles on my circulation But there's no blood inside, it's only lubrication Although it seems I've still got organic parts I can assure you they aren't, they're just a clever fabrication When they were finished, all my program was concluded I'd live forever long as I was not rebooted Although the question of whether I'm alive Has been a matter that I've got to admit has been disputed On the next episode of Cast and Wax, on guard duty, the stallion goes back into negotiations. Good afternoon, Mr. Stallion. Grant, shall we sit? Please, thank you. So? Yes? I called off the strike. Excellent. So, you said once the strike was called off, you'd enter back into negotiations. Yes, yes, and, and here we are. Debatatorium returns questioning racial profiling. So you're saying racial profiling should be used, but instead of just profiling one race, it should look for anyone of All any of race. All of them, yes. Ah, that's very inclusive, <laughs> so that way anyone who walks up will be flagged. Exactly. And on Epic Echoes, the bulk of the flashback is dead. What the physics is going on? Are we dead? I think so. That means this must be the Bardo. The what now? Did you never go to Sunday school, Sarah? Uh, there wasn't a good one near Mother's Estate. The Bardo is the afterlife, King. It's where souls go after death before they reincarnate. All this and much more coming January 26th to Waxwork.com. <laughs>